to Natural MD Radio, your place to hear the whole truth on health and medicine for women and children and get the tools you need to take back your health naturally starting now. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. Well, there's a clear relationship between diet, nutrition, and PCOS. Most doctors aren't talking about it enough or at all with patients, beyond women with PCOS being told too often and sometimes in a shaming, blaming way to just lose the weight, as if that were the only answer and if it were just that simple to do. Most women with PCOS who do struggle with their weight have tried any number of diets, often overly restrictive ones that backfire despite their best efforts and feel that failure to lose weight is a result of a problem with their willpower when in fact this and other food-related challenges are now known to be a symptom of PCOS and not a cause. Further, PCOS doesn't just affect women who are overweight. In fact, PCOS affects women of all sizes, many of whom struggle for years, not only with menstrual cycle symptoms, acne, hair loss, and unwanted hair growth, but also with depression, anxiety, and food-related symptoms, including cravings and binge eating. Now a recognized PCOS symptom related to metabolic dysfunction, as I'm going to explain. The result of all of this is often a fraught relationship with food and a lot of confusion, overwhelm, and disempowerment when it comes to feeling in charge of your body, your eating, and your weight. Welcome to episode 165 of Natural MD Radio, The PCOS Diet, Why Food Matters, and How to Use It to Your Advantage. This is your host, Dr. Aviva Ram. In this episode, I'm going to show you how you can use food to take charge of your symptoms, how you feel, and your weight too, if that's one of your symptoms. We'll focus on the relationship between diet and PCOS and food solutions for PCOS, what to eat and what to avoid. While food is just one of the root causes of PCOS, it's intimately connected to each of the others and is truly the foundation of treating PCOS naturally. You can make a huge difference in the severity of your PCOS and sometimes even reverse your diagnosis by getting to the roots of imbalance in this complex hormonal and metabolic condition. In the corresponding article that goes with this episode that you can find over at avivaram.com forward slash 165, that's the number 165 for the number of this episode, you'll also find a number of links to related articles on PCOS foundations, PCOS and gut health, what detoxification really means and how it relates, and other topics. And you'll find links over to articles on supplements and additional information that will really help you make the most of the PCOS diet. But for now, let's dig into the PCOS diet, why food matters. First things first, I want to acknowledge that the word diet itself can be such a trigger. What I'm referring to here is not a diet in the traditional weight loss restrictive eating sense, but a way of eating to support your optimal health with PCOS. There's not one single diet for PCOS, but there are food and nutritional strategies that can make a tremendous difference and rolled into one plan. These comprise what in my medical practice I call the PCOS diet. In my book, Hormone Intelligence, I also call this the Hormone Intelligence Diet because it's 
one and the same, although in this episode and in my book, I share some specific tweaks, if you will, that really make a difference with PCOS. While we tend to think of PCOS primarily as a women's hormone condition, it's more than that. It's a complex condition involving both female hormones, including testosterone, which we often think of as a male hormone, and notably metabolic hormones, including insulin, leptin, and ghrelin. A phenomenon called insulin resistance is at the heart of the imbalances, and this, and its powerful relationship to inflammation and appetite dysregulation, is what makes food such a powerful tool in PCOS treatment. Insulin is a hormone produced in the pancreas, that regulates the metabolism of carbohydrates, fats, and protein by promoting the absorption of glucose from your blood into your liver, fat, and skeletal muscle cells. Insulin resistance is when your cells stop responding optimally and sensitively to insulin in your bloodstream, causing high blood sugar levels that over time can put you at risk for chronic conditions, especially diabetes. Insulin resistance is a key feature of PCOS. As many as 70% of women with PCOS demonstrate measurable insulin resistance beyond that which would be expected by their body weight or degree of obesity, and it may be occurring at a more subtle level in far more women than this with PCOS. It causes the ovaries to produce excess testosterone, impairing ovulation, and leading to the classic androgenic symptoms of PCOS hair loss, unwanted hair, and cystic acne. It also drives inflammation, which in turn drives depression and fatigue, and also puts women with PCOS at much greater lifetime risk of the metabolic consequences of PCOS. And it impairs your relationship with food. Insulin resistance goes hand in glove with dysregulation of other hormones that affect metabolism, weight, appetite and satiety, and inflammation. Women with PCOS have been shown to have impaired secretion of a hormone called leptin, which controls appetite and satiety. In short, it tells our brains when we're full and when we should stop eating. In PCOS, leptin signaling goes awry. And rather than eating, creating satiety signals in the brain, women with PCOS might be getting the message that they're hungry even when they've eaten. High-calorie, high-carbohydrate foods exacerbate this phenomenon because they cause areas of the brain to become hyperactive, making you crave even more carbs and sugar, sometimes intensely so. The high levels of leptin associated with PCOS help to explain the years of battling weight, frustrations with diets that just haven't worked, and are a recently discovered cause of binge eating disorder in PCOS. So before I say another word, I want to emphasize something. It's not you. You are not broken. It's not your fault if you haven't been able to lose weight, if you're binging and you don't know why and find it hard to stop. The underlying disruptions that are causing PCOS are causing or contributing to those symptoms. And they're just what they are. Symptoms of PCOS as a complex hormonal and metabolic syndrome, not signs of weakness or a statement on your character. But by resetting this disrupted hormone signaling or nutritionally overriding it when it's a genetic predisposition, you can really transform your relationship with food and you can learn to take back your health with PCOS. Numerous studies demonstrate the important influence diet can have on PCOS. In fact, a combination of healthy diet and exercise alone 
has been found to be more effective than even the most common medication, metformin, used to treat PCOS. The key, supported in numerous studies, lies in reducing insulin resistance. This can be done by achieving healthy blood sugar, by increasing protein and healthy fats in the diet, and just a modest reduction in unhealthy carbohydrates. Without even losing weight, this decreases testosterone, improves insulin sensitivity, and reduces inflammation. Reducing testosterone reverses many of the symptoms associated with PCOS, including acne, excess hair in unwanted places, male pattern hair loss, and menstrual cycle irregularities, and increases fertility while reducing insulin and inflammation, and that reduces the medical risks associated with PCOS. What to eat, what to avoid. The PCOS diet starts with a Mediterranean-style diet, which has been shown to steadily reduce insulin resistance and reverse it, improve steady blood sugar, and is more effective for weight loss than any other way of eating. Here's an overview. Every meal should include protein, like a palm-sized serving of fish or poultry, two eggs, or a half a cup of cooked beans or legumes, healthy fats, one to two tablespoons of olive oil, or one tablespoon of ghee or coconut oil, or one half of an avocado, and veggies, one to two cups of veggies or a combination of veggies and fruit, emphasizing berries, which are low glycemic and really helpful for reversing inflammation and insulin resistance. Plus, every day, you wanna make sure that you're aiming for six to eight servings of vegetables and up to one to two servings of low glycemic fruits, one half a cup of slow carbs, which I'm gonna talk about one to two times daily, one quarter cup or about a handful of nuts and seeds or one tablespoon of nut or seed butter and six to eight cups of water. I'm about to introduce you to the energy rock stars, protein, fats, and slow carbs or slow burning carbohydrates that in the right amounts and at the right times of day, keep your blood sugar steady, your energy humming, and your hormones happy. Hormone healthy proteins. Improving protein intake throughout the day improves blood sugar levels, lowers testosterone levels, increases satiety, and reduces PCOS symptoms even without other measures like reducing carbs or increasing exercise. Replacement of carbs with protein improves weight loss and improves glucose metabolism by an effect that seems to be independent of the weight loss and thus seems to offer an improved dietary treatment for PCOS. How to do this? Include animal protein, including poultry, eggs, and fish. Emphasize legumes in your diet as well. Now, if you don't eat animal protein, you definitely want to focus on the legumes, but keep in mind, legumes also have carbs in them. So for my patients with PCOS, I really, really do say that eating some meat, even in a plant-based diet, especially poultry, eggs, and fish, makes a huge difference. And please know that I'm saying that as someone who spent 14 years as a vegan and a vegetarian. It's a way of life that I think is optimal for the planet and as a primary diet, optimal for all of us for just reducing the chronic health conditions that our culture faces. And also in my experience for women with PCOS and for women who are struggling with other hormone imbalances, including animal protein in the diet, really, really can make a difference. But it doesn't have to be an enormous amount. It can be, as I mentioned earlier, 
a palm-sized serving of animal protein once or twice a day or eggs in your diet. And if you're going to emphasize legumes, which I hope you will include in your diet regardless, two to three times a week, this is really important because it's been shown to improve blood sugar and improve weight without even dieting or exercising more than you have been. What kind of legumes? Black beans, chickpeas, also called garbanzo beans, lentils, white beans, and tempeh and tofu. And the concerns that we've heard about soy are really, truly hype. Um, You can eat soy in a healthful way by including tofu or tempeh once or twice a week in your diet. The important thing is to make sure it's organic because organic soy is always non-genetically modified. Importantly, you want to avoid all processed meats and avoid excessive red meat intake. Keep it to one portion a week and about four to six ounces at that. Those lead to measurable increases in inflammatory markers in the blood, as well as harmfully elevating blood sugar and insulin resistance markers when consumed too often. Healthy fats are also essential. Healthy fats help us to feel satisfied and full after meals, help us to maintain steady energy and blood sugar, and they squash sugar cravings. Healthful dietary fat intake has also been shown to reduce abdominal fat improve insulin sensitivity, and reduce testosterone levels along with associated symptoms. Importantly, low omega-3 and high omega-6 levels add to inflammation, and that's true for 80% of people. And low omega-3s, which come from fish, for example, or omega-3s come from fish, and high omega-6s, which come heavily in our diet from processed vegetable oils, are associated with insulin resistance and PCOS. Essential fatty acids, which come from omega-3s, reduce insulin resistance, reduce testosterone levels, and can improve depression, return period cyclicity, so regular periods, and support you in achieving a healthy weight if that's part of your goals, and may reduce hirsutism, which is that unwanted hair. If you're not into fish, you can take fish oil or an algae-based omega-3 supplement. But to improve overall healthy fats in your diet, emphasize olive oil, avocado, nuts and seeds, and occasional ghee and coconut oil, as I already mentioned, and eat four ounces of cold water fatty fish rich in essential fatty acids, ideally three times a week, including salmon, mackerel, although you want to avoid king mackerel because king mackerel is higher in mercury, and uh, you want to include anchovies and sardines. As much as you can include wild-caught that's going to be better because those are going to be high in omega-3s. The farm-raised, not as much. And if you're in doubt, if you can't afford to eat those kind of fishes several times a week, um, again, or if you're vegan and you're willing to take a fish oil, you can take a fish oil or you can take an algae-based omega-3 supplement. And again, remember, you don't have to keep all of this information in your head. You can head over to avivaram.com forward slash 165 for episode 165 where I've got all this information for you and you can even save the article as a PDF to return to or simply bookmark it and make it, you know, a part of your daily or regular practice to revisit the information until you have really taken ownership of it and and know how to make this your, your daily way of eating and being. All right, slow carbs. I told you I'd talk about those. A reduced carbohydrate diet may be superior 
to a standard diet in terms of improving fertility, endocrine and metabolic parameters, weight loss, and satiety in women with PCOS. But a word of caution, very low carb diets aren't the answer. Your body and your hormones and your neurotransmitters, which create healthy mood, healthy cycles, etc., and your blood sugar benefit from small amounts of whole grains, including for women with PCOS. The key is keeping it to small portions of whole grains. What's a small portion? No more than half a cup of cooked grain at a meal and only once or max twice daily. What are healthful grains? Brown rice, millet, oats, both rolled and steel cut. Quinoa, which is actually a seed grain. Wild rice, which is also a seed grain as are red, pink, and black rice, which are all delicious and great choices. Buckwheat, also technically a seed and not a grain, may be especially helpful in improving blood sugar balance and reducing insulin resistance. So learning to include things like quinoa salad and um, buckwheat noodles or buckwheat pancakes in your diet is a really beautiful and delicious and valuable way to improve all of these parameters. You can also include starchy energy vegetables in your diet in exchange for one of the grain servings. So once a day, a half a cup of cooked grain or once a day, a starchy energy vegetable. And that can include parsnips, potatoes, squash, winter squashes like delicata, pumpkin, acorn, spaghetti, butternut, etc., and sweet potatoes. I eat a sweet potato in my diet usually about three times a week in the fall, winter, and spring. They're not as available. They're not in season in the summer, so that's when they tend to be moved out of my diet. But these are just really delicious foods. And as long as you don't slather your potatoes in butter or, or sour cream, just use a little bit of ghee or use a little bit of olive oil. Just enjoy it plain with a little bit of cinnamon or I love them with roasted paprika sprinkled on. There's so many wonderful ways to include these veggies in your diet to improve all of these parameters with PCOS. One more important thing is to eat more plants. Now this doesn't mean you have to be a vegan or vegetarian. In fact, as I mentioned, fish is an important part of a PCOS healthy meal plan because it gives you that protein and those essential fatty acids. But it does mean increasing your intake of veggies, fruits, nuts, and seeds, and plant-based protein sources like legumes as the base of your diet for their important anti-inflammatory, gut-supportive, and blood sugar-balancing nutrients, particularly fiber, all super important to address the multiple root causes that contribute to PCOS. Studies show a strong connection between low fiber intake and insulin resistance, and strong evidence shows us that high Dietary fiber intake can improve insulin sensitivity. But how much fiber is the average American getting? About 15 grams of fiber a day. How much fiber did our ancestors get? About 100 grams a day in our truly paleolithic hunter-gatherer-forager days. How many grams of protein did our even more recent ancestors get 100, 150 years ago? Probably about 50 grams a day. And how many grams a day does the Society for Gastroenterologists recommend that we need for basic colon cancer prevention? 30 grams a day. So again, remember, as I said, most Americans, 15 grams a day. Fiber is also really important for improving satiety when we eat, that sense of natural fullness we get, preventing us from overeating. 
supporting weight loss, and supporting the health of the gut microbiome. So how do you get enough fiber in your diet? Well, if you're doing what I already shared with you, you actually are. Aim for 8 to 10 servings of veggies and fruits a day, those low glycemic fruits. And keep in mind that whole grains and legumes are also rich in fiber. Especially emphasize greens like broccoli, broccoli rab, rapini, bok choy, broccoli sprouts, Brussels sprouts, all varieties of cabbage, cauliflower, collard greens, kale, napa cabbage. And while fresh fruit is very healthful, with PCOS, keep it to one at most two servings daily and stick to the low glycemic choices like blackberries, blueberries, raspberries, and strawberries. And you can get those frozen when they're not fresh in season. It's also not just what you eat, it's what comes along with your food. Some of the invisible passengers, if you will, including herbicides and pesticides, as well as plastic compounds that leach into our food from packaging and storage containers. Studies have shown that higher BPA levels, for example, in women with PCOS, and have been associated with higher markers of inflammation. BPA stimulates androgen production and interferes with testosterone, lowering mechanisms in our bodies. So we end up with higher overall levels of testosterone. This is really problematic since high testosterone levels are a hallmark of PCOS. So here's how to cut down on your body burden from food. Eat organic, especially strictly for meats and dairy. Ideally, choose organic fruits and vegetables. If you're not sure how, use the Environmental Working Group Clean 15 Dirty Dozen. You can find that by just Googling that or go to ewg.org. And when you get there, go in the search and look up Clean 15 Dirty Dozen. You can also find the link to that over at avivaram.com forward slash 165 in the section Go Organic. Choose low mercury fish. Mercury is a heavy metal that has also been shown to act as an endocrine disruptor, particularly a thyroid hormone disruptor, but in general, it's really important to choose the low mercury fish, and those are the ones that I've shared with you that are also really rich in essential fatty acids. Also, avoid plastic packaging and food storage containers. I promise you that if you came into my kitchen, you would find zero plastic food storage containers. I use bamboo food storage containers that can go into the refrigerator. Um, Those are a little bit pricier, but they're really pretty and you can serve in them and eat out of them and put them right in the fridge with their little wooden bamboo containers, um, you know, their lids. But you can also go to Walmart, Target, Amazon, any big box store. You can even go to a local five and dime store often and find glass storage containers. Yes, they will sometimes have a plastic or rubberized lid. Just don't pack them so full that the lid is touching the food. Pack them to below that. And those are great. They're dishwasher safe and they pretty much last forever. You can also heat in them in the oven and you can even serve in them for a casual dinner. So you can eat right out of them. I promise you I've done it. So really think about your food storage containers and don't drink out of plastic water bottles or other plastic bottles. Get a glass bottle, get a clean canteen, get a Life Factory glass bottle. I've had the same Life Factory glass bottle since 2005. I have taken it camping. I have dropped it twice in parking lots on overnight medical shifts and that thing keeps on ticking and you can put it in the dishwasher. So just find ways. And I know at first it can feel daunting, but I promise you it's each of these little things. It's each of these little insults to our endocrine system, to our metabolic system 
that adds up to what eventually are symptoms and conditions. So everything that we can do within our power to reduce our body burden, and you really can. Studies show that in just a few short days even of taking these products and these containers and these foods out of our diet, we can lower our blood levels of BPA, BPS, phthalates, herbicides, and pesticides. And then while you're at it, go clean and green at home to the extent you can with your body products and household cleaners. So in summary, what are you going to add to your to your diet? You're going to check back on that overview of how much protein, healthy fats, and veggies to get every day. You're going to increase your hormone-healthy proteins. You're going to increase your healthy fats. And you're going to switch from fast carbs, you know, that I'm going to talk about in just a minute, to slow-burning carbs no more than twice a day, ideally once a day. That can be healthful grains, legumes, or starchy veggies. And you're going to eat more plants and you're going to go organic and mind not letting the practices of our culture undermine your health and your hormones that you have a right to have. One big question I get is, do you need to take supplements? Well, nutritional deficiencies are actually really common in women with PCOS. I see low vitamin D a lot in my PCOS patients, and certain vitamins and minerals like chromium and magnesium are needed to regulate blood sugar. And these insufficiencies in these nutrients are associated with elevated blood glucose levels, insulin resistance, PCOS, and actually even diabetes. While food should always be the foundation of your nutrient intake, supplements can be added if needed to replete nutrient insufficiencies. And I recommend a baseline of a multivitamin and a few other nutrients that you can learn about in all of my PCOS patients. And if you head over to avivaram.com forward slash 165, just go to the section, do I need to take supplements? And you can find the link to my PCOS supplements article, or you can just go and Google my name, avivaram PCOS supplements, that'll take you to it. Or you can just go to my website and do a search any way that's easier for you to get that information. Beyond what you eat, timing is really important. Our bodies are meant to have clear times for eating and clear times for resting and digesting. Eating for steady blood sugar, which also means eating for steady energy, means that meals should be balanced and provide the energy you need to feel satisfied. Enough that you're not on the hunger roller coaster and craving that morning muffin, bagel, donut, you name it by 10 a.m., and on and on it goes, including craving that evening snack. Here's how to support healthy meal timing. Eat regularly and make sure all meals and snacks are blood sugar balanced the way I shared with you how to do that earlier. Eat breakfast every day and make sure breakfast includes a good quality protein and fat source. So that can be a tofu scramble made with olive oil and some vegetables on the side. It can be a scrambled egg, a piece of gluten-free toast, or that might be your carb choice for the day and you have a piece of nice seed bread or whole grain toast, and that forms the basis of a beautiful, healthful diet. Don't go hungry. Keep an emergency food stash in your bag, your desk drawer, or your glove compartment, wherever you might get hungry, so that you always have a healthful choice of something like nuts and seeds, a hard-boiled egg, something that's easy to carry, an energy bar that you like, a low-sugar, good-quality energy bar. And if you're struggling with frequently eating, snacking, 
and just not eating mindfully or you're feeling a little bit out of control of your food choices. One thing that you can do really that helps powerfully is keep a food journal. It can be really a helpful tool to make the food mind body connection and also start to recognize how your food is making you feel and when you are hungry and full or having cravings and also when you're just distracted, bored, or feeling emotionally driven to eat. So you can really start to pay attention to food patterns that may have become automatic that you're not even noticing. Now, another question I get a lot is, what about intermittent fasting? When it comes to women's hormone balance, evidence shows that overly restrictive intermittent fasting isn't actually optimal. In fact, one study showed that blood sugar control actually worsened in women after three weeks of intermittent fasting, with meal skipping, which was not the case in men. But when done properly, it can be incredibly effective for reducing insulin resistance and improving blood sugar balance. Just eight to 12 weeks of intermittent fasting has been shown to lower insulin levels by 20 to 31% and blood sugar levels by three to 6% in individuals with prediabetes. One study also found that eight weeks of intermittent fasting decreased depression and binge eating behaviors while improving body image in overweight adults. Research has shown that metabolic benefits with implementing a shorter eating window and fasting for up to 16 hours overnight can be really beneficial. So what does that look like, not eating for 16 hours overnight? Well, it would look like not eating from, say, 6 at night when you've had your dinner till 10 o'clock the next morning. But that is not always optimal for women with PCOS. So I don't recommend doing that for more than a couple of weeks at a time. It's really important to understand whether intermittent fasting is for you. But what I do recommend is that at baseline, all women with PCOS observe a 12-hour overnight fast because that's helpful for most everyone and gets you most of the benefits I've just mentioned. What does that look like? Just not eating between dinner time, which is ideally four hours before you go to bed, and breakfast the next day. So say 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. or 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. Give that 12-hour window. The PCOS diet, what you should avoid. I'm not about restriction in my own life or for my patients. Food is meant to be nutritious, information for your cells, and pleasure for your soul. But there are some common foods in the standard American diet that undoubtedly cause or contribute to insulin resistance, inflammation, and harmfully alter our food brain hormone signaling. These are a no-go for PCOS except on rare occasions, and I'm talking on a blue moon level here. Cutting them out completely for a short period of time, say six to 12 weeks, may make it easier to get started. You know, if you just think about this as a six, six to 12, six to eight or six to 12 weeks, and can be incredibly eye-opening. The goal, of course, is to take them out completely, which becomes much easier when you start to feel more energetic, you sleep better, your moods get better, your skin gets clearer, and you notice your hormones and metabolism start to come back into balance. So what are the things to ixnay from your diet? Sugar and empty carbs. There's no getting around it. High sugar diet, processed foods, processed flour products, sodas, And even bottled juices and commercially available smoothies and shakes can be really high in sugar and wreak havoc on your blood sugar. Highly refined foods are void of nutrients from protein, fat, and fiber to important minerals and vitamins, which can help to improve blood sugar levels and insulin response. And they also are important for reducing inflammation. 
They're the main dietary culprit contributing to insulin resistance and the cascade of problems that follow. Learning to enjoy more of the nutrient-rich diets I've emphasized, making sure you empty your pantry of the no-go foods and replace them with the yes foods can literally retrain your brain to prefer healthy foods. Enlisting a buddy or someone for accountability, whether a friend, family member, or health coach, can also really help. What about dairy? Studies indicate a possible relationship between dairy consumption and PCOS. Individuals with PCOS appear to have more dairy in their diets, and especially low and free fat milk, which are higher in sugar than their full fat counterparts. Why is that? Well, when you take the fat out, you're left with more of the lactose. And so full fat milk, just full fat dairy products, have less lactose in them. Low-fat dairy products may increase the level of insulin-like growth factor, IGF-1, which seems to play a role in PCOS. Further, all dairy, unless organic, hormone, and antibiotic-free, may contribute to an array of hormone imbalances. Many women with PCOS find that eliminating dairy can be beneficial in reducing hormonal symptoms, especially acne. I recommend trying it for three to six months, and if you feel better without it, keep it out of your diet generally. There are many excellent ways to get adequate calcium in your diet without dairy products. If you do choose to keep dairy in your diet or reintroduce it after a trial of removing it, make it organic, full fat, and enjoy it as a complement to your diet, not the main event. What about gluten? Gluten is a really interesting one. You know, when it was getting really popular to go gluten-free about eight or so years ago, I really sat back and did the research because I've been in this wellness space before it was called the wellness space for now almost 40 years. Actually, 40 years. I started a natural foods diet and using herbs and a healthy lifestyle and a more natural lifestyle when I was 15 and I'm 55. So I've been around the block. I've seen fads come. I've seen fads go. And often what happens, there's a kernel of truth that then gets blown out into this gospel almost, and it becomes really extreme. When I dug into the research on gluten, what I was really surprised is to see how profound and powerful a connection there is in the medical literature between women's hormones and women's hormonal challenges and reproductive challenges with gluten in people who have celiac disease. Now, Celiac disease represents a tiny portion of the population, 1% to 2% at most. But uh, non-celiac gluten intolerance affects many, many more people than that and may also contribute to some of the hormonal and reproductive challenges we see when gluten is in the diet. And this actually includes PCOS, endometriosis, fertility challenges, and uh, recurrent miscarriage. So in my medical practice, in my online programs, the women I guide, I do strongly encourage taking gluten out of the diet for a good three months at least and up to 12 months to see if it makes a difference for you. You can get tested for celiac disease by getting tested for celiac genes, HLA, DQ8, and DQ2, and you can get celiac antibodies But testing isn't necessarily critical, and there is no test for non-celiac gluten intolerance. So really doing this kind of adventurously and experimentally 
makes it just the best way to go. And you notice when I talked about whole grains, I did not talk about wheat as part of this whole grains. Yes, it can be a healthful whole grain, especially some of the ancient grain wheats that are now being grown. But in general, if you're struggling with PCOS, I would really go gluten-free for a while and see how you do with that. What about alcohol and what about caffeine? I know I'm such a party pooper here, sorry, (laughs) but I really wanna just give you all the information so you can make your own best choices. Alcohol may be particularly problematic for women with PCOS. Even small amounts of alcohol consumption have been associated with something called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, NAFLD, which it's predicted that half of all Americans who are struggling with obesity and diabetes will have by 2030. But it's also really much more common in women with PCOS because some of the same metabolic imbalances that are happening with diabetes are happening in women with PCOS at any weight. Alcohol breaks down into sugar, adding to insulin resistance, and has been associated with increased fat stores. So for women with PCOS, I really recommend no alcohol at all, like really learning to live as a sober person, if you will. And then if you do just want to have a drink once in a while, keep it to something like vodka or tequila or mezcal, all of which are very low in sugar. Keep it to half the amount of alcohol that one would usually put in a drink, so one ounce, not two. Don't add simple syrup or other mixers because those just add sugar. So if you're going to have a drink, you know, no more than once a week, which in my opinion with PCOS would be a lot, one drink, something like one ounce of vodka with um, sparkling water and a splash of lime, something like that, if that's what you really want to do or you feel social pressure and you're at a party. But I hope that we're all, you know, old enough and confident enough in ourselves to say hell no to social pressure and prioritize our well-being first. If it's something that's relaxing for you, part of something that you want to participate in, those are some of the better, safer ways to do it with PCOS. Look, I know the love of coffee is real. I love it too. But caffeine can absolutely increase our stress hormones with that, jack up our blood sugar, and with that lead to insulin resistance, all of which can aggravate PCOS. In my opinion, it's just not worth the quick buzz. But if you are going to drink coffee, have decaf, or consider switching to green tea or chai, like black tea, don't add sugar, don't add cream, and have your coffee with a meal, And interestingly, studies show that instead of having coffee first thing in the morning, we actually get the best bang for our buck, if you will, um, by drinking it around 10 o'clock in the morning. So have your morning meal, have your coffee a little bit later. Um, But again, just follow these guidelines that I talked about. As I mentioned, I'm not into restriction. So the things that I'm talking about taking out of your diet are things that are not meant to be restrictive. They're meant to be things that you substitute with other wonderful things like a mocktail of sparkling water and a splash of lime and a splash of unsweetened cranberry juice that you muddle a little mint into or something like that. Um, You know, green tea or decaf if you really want to have the coffee and then going from the fast carbs to the slow carbs, et cetera. And just if all you do is increase protein and increase good quality fat in your diet, that is golden, you know, of all the things that I'm sharing. And it's really important because restrictive eating is a no-go for PCOS. Restriction leads to activation of your stress response, which in turn leads to increased cortisol, increased insulin, blood sugar, and insulin resistance. Over time, 
That stress response triggered from extreme restriction, and I see this in women who come to me all the time who have been really restrictive eaters, can in itself cause weight gain, exacerbate inflammation, and importantly, really activate confused food signaling. Restriction tends to lead to rebound cravings and binging. Also, the more you restrict, the less diversity of these important nutrients that I've been talking about you get from your diet. So eat regularly, learn how to identify healthy portion sizes, and while you might eliminate certain foods that I've talked about, don't take an overly restrictive approach to eating. If you need a healthy indulgence now and then to keep you from binging and to feel like you're enjoying life's pleasures, use something like dark chocolate in the afternoon and keep it to a few squares, but really savor it. Or make my chia pudding, which I teach you how to make over on my website and also in my Instagram lives. And learn about what I call the 95-5 rule in my new book, Hormone Intelligence. So what can you expect with the PCOS diet? PCOS, if you haven't heard me say it by now in this episode, is a complex condition. The best approach focuses on addressing each of the root causes, which you can read more about over in my article or listen to in my podcast about PCOS and everything you need to know. Hormone Intelligence is my book, and it covers everything you need to know for a PCOS diet and more, gives you actionable supplements, but also gives you five weeks of done-for-you meal plans and recipes. You can find out about that at avivaram.com forward slash book, or you can get your copy on Amazon or wherever you love purchasing books. And I'm a big, like I'm doing a fist bump in the air right now for supporting your independent booksellers. Food is an important key to healing for PCOS, and it's a way to reclaim a healthy relationship to your body. The PCOS diet isn't a quick fix solution or a magic diet plan. In real health and medicine, those don't exist. The magic lies in making this part of a lifestyle in which you include whole natural foods as an important role in your total well-being. It's an act of self-love to eat this way. This is what leads to you experiencing symptom improvement, sometimes noticing small changes in just a few weeks, but knowing it may take closer to three to six months for major shifts to happen depending on the severity and range of your symptoms. Be patient and compassionate with yourself, especially if you've been blaming yourself for food cravings, binging, and weight struggles. You now know these aren't your fault. Changing the way you eat isn't always easy, but with time, you'll find it's second nature. And before long, with the changes you're feeling, you won't want it any other way. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Natural MD Radio. I'll see you next week. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Natural MD Radio. If you did, please go to avivaram.com and join the conversation about the show on my blog. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. It's free and it's jam-packed with powerful tips to help you take back your health naturally. That's avivaram.com. Take care and see you next time.